welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman, and I'm here with my three best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. And Leith. And this is Taylor. How we doing, guys? Ugh, I need a beer. Uh, I need to get a beer, too. So, PSA for, you know, the listeners out there. At the time of this recording, yesterday I completed my first Spartan race. Oh, yeah. 13.3 miles, 35 obstacles, and 2,700 feet of elevation. Later, I have no energy, absolutely no energy today. So if it sounds like that, it's because my body feels like it's been hit by a bus. And my body, like my forearms look like... Like, my legs and forearms have scratches and bruises all over them, so that it it looks like if something were to happen to me, they would think I was attacked, even though I wasn't, because it looks like I have self-defense wounds everywhere. Hey, if, if Dalton's been abusing you, kids, this is bullying twice. twice. But one more thing before we get to the question. Okay, hit us. Shout out to the Angelo State baseball team. I know last one we t- I brought it up. They were in the first game. They went undefeated and they won yesterday against Rollins five to six. They brought they they're bringing the national championship back to West Texas, baby. Ram it, damn it. Let's go. That's a good one, Arod. That's a good one. Now now, let us hear the question. Okay. Simple question for Taylor. <laughs> hey, no need to call me out. Would you rather be blind and have a million dollars, or would you rather have a million dollars and you can't spend it on yourself at all? None of the money can go to you. So you have the money to spend, but it can't be on yourself. Well... Taylor, I'm going to let you answer this first. That's a tough one as well. <laughs> Here, I'll uh, go first. You want me to go first? Yeah, you go, Aaron. I'll, I'd rather be blind in a million dollars. Well, I'm glad someone said it first. <laughs> well, because I ain't going to lie. I, there are some times where I close my eyes and I do try to walk around with my eyes closed. <laughs> like, I didn't try to, yes. like, hyphen my other senses. <laughs> Like I do, I I do. I just just do for fun. Like I close my eyes and I see if I could like picture out my like apartment out like in my mind, so I know where I'm walking. I've heard you say some things that might be the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like I just have my eyes closed and I'm walking. All right, I I could sense like this object's near me and all that sense. What do you 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 think you are? Hey man, think from, <laughs> hey, like you can just like, like you can just have that feeling when you know something's next to you. I mean, you That's can have how... that feeling with your eyes open. <laughs> yeah, but like, I just try to do it with my eyes closed. That's what I try to do. <laughs> I I just imagining a rod because you live alone, and I just imagine him being like, huh, <laughs> alone in your apartment. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. You're in your apartment trying to close your eyes and oh sit You know where everything's at. You put it there. I live by myself, or I, I get lonely sometimes. And so you I close don't... your eyes and it makes you feel less alone. Hey, sometimes hey, sometimes I just want to I just try to be creative. But I'm taking a million dollars. Yeah, because he's trained for it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's my money. No one else's. Taylor? Sorry, sorry. As much as I would like to say that I would spend it on other people, I don't think that's possible. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to do this blind and a million dollars. So where are you going to buy with it if you're blind? You can't see. Um, I? I food? <laughs> a no. nice house? You have to look at food. You can't see the house. Taste it. I don't need to see the house to know it's nice. Have y'all ever seen that? Nice pool out box. Oh my god! 
a pool? Why would you want a pool? You're blind. Obviously. You can I still just... sit in the water. Yeah, I'm a tailor. There's ways to work around it. The... Blind people just don't get in the pool. I would, I would, I would I've never seen it. A... This is what I would do. I would get a beach house. I would get a beach house and I would sit on the, I'll sit at the beach and just listen to the waves. That's not bad. That's what I would do. Okay, you're a million dollars. This is what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, I'm going to be blind. I'm going to take the one million, but I will donate some. I will. I won't keep all of it. I'll keep a (laughs) She donates a dollar. No, I'll donate to the blind. No. How do you know? How do you know if you're gonna donate to the right one? You can't see. Okay, Aaron. Blind people don't just stop living when they go blind. There's ways to still live. Things are accessible. Because website, you can get features on. You don't even have to get it. But like Chrome and stuff come with features that they read the website out to you. I, I've learned all about it. I took an accessibility class in grad school. These things are accessible to blind people. Like, very bad when I was in grad school, when I was in that accessibility class, my, like, semester-long project was this research paper of, like, the accessibility of medical TV drama shows to blind people. So I listened to them with the audio playing so it would describe to you what's happening in between the words so that you would know what's going on in the show and i did a whole project on if it was like actually good accessibility and things like that so was it better than watching the show i mean i wouldn't say it was better but i would say it gave those that were blind the accessibility to enjoy the show without ruining the show So you should practice watching that show, eh, Red? Just close yeah. your eyes. Just listen to it. Try it I one time. Like, I do like do it. a send me a link and I will. And I'll There's show his name. Just so wait. We want to just watch a show? Yeah, it's you can just pick. Yeah, it's in the settings. You can just pick any show on any platform. And there's settings that you hit to have the audio. Next episode, whatever the whatever show we get to watch, I'll do it and I'll let y'all know how it goes. Yeah, let us know. I think Malice's trying to distract us because he doesn't. Yeah, Malice, you join the club of bad people where we take the money for ourselves. What are you choosing? Hey, man, I was gonna give the money away. I don't oh, sure. Oh, crap. Sure. Like, why are you always lying? I need my senses. No. Okay, so where are you donating the money then? Yeah, break it down. Break down the so, whole milli. If what I is... break it to someone else and maybe they get rich, then they can give the money back. Oh, no, that's cheating. No, that don't oh. work. That's like, that's like asking a genie. You got to think way too into this question. Yeah. Well, Malik comes up with the question, so he slept on it for a while. Come up with it. all day long. What we should do is have our listeners, if you want, you can send us your questions that we'll answer on an episode. You can email us at crimeonprimetimepod at gmail or DM us on any of the social media platforms. And we'll do your question and give you a little shout out. All right. This week we watched NCIS Season 5 Episode 8 Designated Target. What'd y'all think of NCIS? I liked it a lot. I've never seen it. It was, it was good. I um I'm just like I don't know, the whole like military thing. It's not that I don't support the military or do. I'm not gonna speak on that part of it. It's just the fact like when these shows get into like the crimes in the military, it just doesn't interest me as much, but I think it's because I don't understand the whole military It's a lot more complicated than yeah. and how it all works. Yeah. yeah. So that's the part that I don't like. Um, but it was fine. It was it was fast paced. A lot was like always have. I felt like I took, I don't know if I took more notes than usual because I have in the back of my head Malik yelling at me of need more detailed notes or because so much was happening just related to the actual crime that I was like, oh, that's important and that's important. And this is a- our thing wasn't 
your detailed notes. It was about you writing better, better handwriting. Yeah, notes that you can read and that you remember what was going on. Yeah. You'll read your notes and you'll be I don't know why I wrote that. Then why is it in the notes? <laughs> because at the time it was important, okay, obviously. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into it. Opens with what looks like a high-ranking military man in a taxi on the way to a meeting. He put, quote, top secret papers in a briefcase. Motorcycle pulls up next to them and shoots into the taxi. They pull the man out of the wrecked car, skip the top secret papers, take another paper from a wallet, then shoot both again. Pop, pop. Oh, man. I, I, I respect you working on your storytelling. Hey, you got me. Don't do that. Don't ever do that again. Why the as a kid? I'm narrating the episode. Oh, man. Just don't do those gunshots ever again. Okay. That's fair. That's a fair request. McGee went on a coffee date with his neighbor. The group had cute banter banter together, the best in the shows so far. Uh, So, yeah, I thought that their little bantering is better than what we see in the other. It's not as cheesy. It flows a lot better. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a robbery. One victim was Admiral Kenneth Kirkland, who worked at the Pentagon. The driver was identified as... Okay, do y'all remember? How... Atif? Uh... Nukunda? That, that sounds pretty good. Atif Nukunda? Okay. Sounds like that. Tire tracks identified as a motorcycle, which suggests assassins who apparently dumped their weapon... Did y'all know that? Did you know that assassins dump their weapon? I felt like that's the opposite of what assassins do, but I just assume I everyone not draws... that, yeah. I just assume everyone dumps the weapon after they shoot someone. God, what's with the gangsters? Yeah, but they can get a lot of evidence if you dump the weapon. Yeah. Well, that's why you dump it in a river or something, like water. But they didn't dump it in a river, did they? I don't know. Oh, maybe they did. They make their weapons like untraceable. I don't remember how, but if you've seen The Godfather, that's a good example. Oh, I want. He shoots to. the guy and he dumps. You really should watch it. He shoots the guy and he dumps the gun. He just literally drops it where he shoots him at, and he leaves. I mean, I guess if you're wearing gloves, it doesn't matter. Interesting, yeah. But yeah, they said that, and I was like, well, that was the opposite of what I thought assassins would do. I was with you on that because I didn't know that. No. So taxi. Camera gave them a time of 9.23 a.m. Why did McGee have lipstick on the back of his collar? So, mm-hmm. yeah. He found the lipstick on the back of his collar. What, what are you doing that it gets back there? on the? He's, he's a super freak. On the he's back of your collar. Bro, that neighbor is scamming McGee. I'm invested in this scamming thing. That was more interesting to me than the actual crime. Kirkland implemented efficiency models and developed the Ready Rapid Deployment model, which doesn't make him a terrorist target, but being an admiral does. That's what Ziva said. Kirkland was leaving home to go to a budget meeting He was in a taxi because his government car broke down and went through the park because there was a three-car pile-up. That's really unfortunate. The car wasn't sabotaged, no files missing, and no personal life motive. So, like, no one took out an insurance policy on him. One bullet is 9mm, 9mm full jacket, high velocity. The other 9mm hollow points, silencer used, casings, casings in the <laughs> Glock or Beretta. See, I have detailed notes this time. The next step is to type them out. No, that's, that takes too much time. 
the tread on motorcycle indicates Yamaha R R6 series. Motorcycle was probably bought overseas and brought in. That seems like a lot of work, but okay. They could have hacked the taxi's navigation system. Is that how they found the taxi? Is it the GPS? And it was hacked. But after that, no clues. This is really fast-paced. This is what I wrote. That's what I liked about it. Yeah, I was like writing fast. I was like, so much is happening. So many notes. There's no tangents going on. There's no really, there's not that much personal life. Like the one personal life is like three sentences here and then boom, back to the case. Not scamming, but a full-blown stage five clinger. Y'all get my reference? No. No. I feel like I do. The Wedding Crashers? The Wedding Crashers. That's how they like. The redhead? Yeah, that's how they like coded girls. She's a stage five clinger. That's how they said it in the movie. That's a good movie. The taxi driver has a fresh missing tooth that the killers took with them. And it looks like they pulled his fingerprint too. Immigrated to America seven years ago from Burundi in East Africa after his name was found on a death squad list. That has to be horrifying. Damn, he worked a shit ton. Cab and pizza delivery? This man liked to drive. Yeah, it said he like worked 85 hours a week, right? I know, that's a shit ton. Also known as, also equals a shit ton. 85 hours a week. That's like what? Almost four full days out of the week. Quick math. Three. Yeah, a little over yeah, three days. Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A video was sent from the park two minutes after execution from a prepaid cell phone. Probably, probably proof of death. It was sent to East Africa. Hmm. So Nakunda worked as a gypsy driver. So the photo was a family photo. Everyone in the show talks fast, so I didn't catch the science. It's in the notes. I feel like threatening the Burundian men will not work. Maybe try to talk, not try to be nice. Oh. Denozo is pissing me off here. Let's get into no into it. Denozo's being an ass. And now Ziva called him on what we were all thinking when she called him a racist. Kind of. No, she called him something else. Denozo is an ass. A xenophobe is what he Yeah, she called him a xenophobe and she called him a prejudice. He was making a lot of like racist remarks. I was like, wait, wait what kind of show is kids have us watching? I know. I was like, oh my god, they're going there like they're making him this blatant of a racist and there was like no apology or like come to jesus moment at the end of it he was he played the point he played the point a little too well yeah i was like oh god like make him he's such an ass to those men like going in and threatening them and then just maybe maybe say that she needs to learn how to speak english yeah, he was like, learn to use a contraction. Like, technically, that's really not proper grammar, but we're Americans and we made it proper grammar, so. I'm I'm an American. I don't know what a contraction is, whatever y'all said. A-Rod, you know what a contraction is. You know what, what it? it is. Is it like a period? Okay, it's just, we don't have time to talk about A-Rod's, his lack. <laughs> it's, okay, instead of saying do not, we say don't. Oh, okay, okay. It's a very American thing, I think. Oh, okay. I just didn't... took A-Rod back to first grade with that one. I'm so, th- oh, we're just going to keep going. Okay. Oh, this is the name of the other guy. Let's see if I wrote it better. Aboko? Aboka? Aboko? I think it was that. A-B-A-K-O? Made a, a, yeah, made a call to someone named Seda Zuri, who's in a hotel and came to America a couple of days before on her travel visa. Suspicious. And looked that 
And look at that. She is here, and it's his wife. His real name is Thomas Zuri. Wait, that's... Wait, that's not her husband? I've never been so happy when they identified the man. Because of the way she talked about how much she loved him was just so sweet and romantic. And she really made me feel it. So when it was not her husband, I was like, oh, thank God. Does Tony not know how to use a computer? When he was trying to. I was like, this idiot, this racist idiot is all (laughs) always thinking. Anyways, this same attack happened to three other taxi drivers. Okay, at first I was thinking serial killer with a very specific um, victim type, but it makes more sense that the killers don't really know what their target looks like. But if it was Criminal Minds, it would be a serial killer. So Thomas spoke out against the government and became a mockingjay, as some would say. Do y'all get that reference? No. No, Kenzie. I mean, y'all get that reference. Taylor, do you get that? Yes. He became. I've only only seen the first movie. Hey, Rod, you're just letting us down left and right on this episode. (laughs) I said he became a Mockingjay. Like, like Hunger Games. Okay. Katniss Everdeen. I would have gotten there eventually. Okay. Okay. We're. We're, we're doing all right with these pop culture references I've thrown in. And now the people want him to return and lead the new movement. The U.S. Embassy smuggled Thomas over. Why does the embassy guy look like the bad guy from the criminal intent episode? I told you that he... Did he not look like that guy? Ramsey? From oh, the criminal yeah. intent? We had a whole com- conversation about it. It does look like him a little bit. I, I thought it looking was. it up. Yeah, look up this guy. He looks familiar too. I told you that there was a group of them that all look familiar and they all look like they play bad guys in all of the cop TV shows. Season five's episode. So Wait. Thomas was in witness protection and left. So did the oil guy slash embassy guy order the hit on Thomas? Question mark. I was trying to figure out his role in this whole thing. So a Chinese oil rig is drilling in Burundi. Huh. Wonder who has ties to that. Bayless, the cab dis- dispatcher, was funding Choice, who was the the embassy slash oil guy, the information on the cabbies. The apartment complex looks like it was abandoned in a zombie apocalypse. It looked absolutely disgusting. There was nothing. Worst apartment complex I've seen in one of these TV shows. Alright, so Bayless is dead too. That's when the body fell from the ceiling. First, what the fuck does McGee mean when he says he digs a girl that steals his money? He was, like, into that shit. I was like, he, she stole $65,000 from you. He likes you back, bro. What do you... That's a crazy girl right there. You're into stage five clingers. Your life will be hell. I ain't gonna lie. I, I'm into crazy girls, but that's a story for a different time. Also, she seems like she has the worst daddy issues because she then paid him the $65,000 back. She just wanted to, like annoy her dad or something she wanted him mcgee to arrest her to like get her dad's attention i was like this is daddy issues to the max i don't know why you would want to go there he likes that crazy shit mm-hmm. something about him and that's that's weird i don't know why you no no that's hey, hey, hey. once once i start stealing money i'm out yep. Once I found out you went through my mail and stole my credit card information, I'm going to have to call the cops. So, Choice sold information about Thomas to the political extremist. Oh, shit. Ibaka is the mastermind here. They got the address for Thomas, but the motorcycle is there, too. Well, they were able to stop his murder. This is the sweetest reunion of loved ones. Oh, Fuck! 
I said it in all caps with extreme, a lot of exclamation points. He has another wife. This is the worst ending ever. There is no reason that NCIS writers had to do that to us. We were never going to see those characters again. They could have just lived happily ever after, but they ruined it. They ruined it so much. It's not all sunshines and rainbows, man. I was so mad after all the love and soulmates and shit that she was talking. She was making me believe it. And then he had another wife. He had another wife. Two-timer. But it's, I mean, I get it. I get why he has another wife. Because it's been, what, they say, seven, ten years since they've seen each other? Seven years. And he just assumed she was dead with everything that had happened in his country. So I, I, I get why he decided to move on but shit man this was like this didn't need to be that deep of an episode like you could have just we would have never seen these characters again I get it if it's like one of the main characters but like these like little characters oh man (laughs) (laughs) it got it got to you didn't it Kenzie it tore me up hey these these past couple episodes, Kenzie's been like, she's been kind of pissed off. It's almost like it happened to her or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I've never had a husband that I searched the world for over years to only find that he's alive but has another wife. No, I can't say that part has ever happened to me. But come on, man. Like, that's sad. Just let us have a happy ending. Okay. So that was our recap. So much fun. Okay. I'm sure you have absolutely no idea where I'm going with this. No. Do tell Not us. one clue. Because once I watched the episode, I also had absolutely no idea where I was going with this. Which is also <laughs> another reason why I was writing the ep- finishing writing the episode 10 minutes before we recorded. Because... um. It took me a while to figure out where to go with this. Uh, But we found it. It will be interesting because it's not really true crime. It's more of a history lesson, but I found it very fascinating. I watched a YouTube documentary on it. Okay, I'm going to tell you the story of Chukwemeka Ojoku and his role in the Nigerian Civil War. So buckle in for a history lesson. I'm ready, I'm ready. On October 1st, 1960, Nigeria was founded by the by gaining independence from the British colonial ruling. But in the desperation for independence, Nigeria was founded on a power imbalance that would lead to the second deadliest war in African history and the most significant event in Nigerian history. Okay, so I'm going to break down the Nigeria culture structure, okay? So, take notes. There there are three main tribes in Nigeria. The Igbos, the Yorubas, and the Hasafulani. The Igbos were majority Christians and well-educated. They believe in hard work to gain financial wealth. They are known to be innovative and creative. So... They're kind of like, they have the same ideals, like almost democracy ideals of you, you get what you work for. Um, the Hasafalani were primarily Muslim and not as educated. They were obedient to their political and religious leaders and they had a modest lifestyle. So they were your farmers, uh, ranchers, that type of working lifestyle. Yeah. Yorubas were kind of a mixture of both. The Igbos, I'm sorry, I think I pronounced it wrong in the beginning. It's Igbos, not Igbos. Igbos and Hasafalani's, in the sense they had a large population of Christians and Muslims. And while they also rewarded hard work, they also valued modesty. So they were kind of the go between. So those were your three major tribes. So it's easy to see why the Hasafalani and the Igbos and Yorubas didn't get along. But the strife goes back long before Nigeria's independence. 
1914, in an attempt to gain more control, colonial Britain gave a large portion of the northern elites, which were the Hasafalanis, leadership positions in the colonial government. So, you, you know, this is because essentially they made this deal, the Hasafalanis, with the British to get these positions. And that meant that those that were well-educated were under the control of the North. Um, and the well-educated were really the ones starting to become quote-unquote unruly with the British. Um, because with more education, the more you can see the possibilities of the future and things changing and just maybe being educated in history and seeing what other people have done. So this um, alignment of the North becoming leaders in British colonialism, that's known as Lagarde's Algamation of 1914. So that's kind of where all of this strife and tension really started was in 1914. And we're back in 1916. When the talk of independence rolled around, the North was initially hesitant because they didn't want to give up their leadership positions. They kind of had it good with the British colonialism thing. So the North struck up a deal. They said, we'll support the independence movement because the South, South being the Igbos and the Yorubas, they were the ones that came up with this independence. This idea of independence. They're the ones that really wanted it. So the North, you know, gave them an ultimatum. They said, we'll support the independence movement if they could keep the colonial structure, meaning that the North could retain their leadership positions. The South, the ones that introduced the idea of independence, independence agreed out of pure desperation, not knowing this would harm Nigeria from the beginning. So from their independence, they have not a great leadership structure so it's not going to take long, long for it to kind of start falling apart. Upon independence in 1960, Nigeria was split into three regions. The north, which was made up of a vast portion of Nigeria, and the equally small eastern and western regions, which are still kind of the tribes. So the Igbos, for the most part, lived in the eastern. The Yorubas, for the most part, lived in the western and the north was primarily the Hausa Fulani. Nigeria tried a parliament, parliamentary democracy, but many were unfamiliar with this idea. So the voting turned into ethnic voting. So they had like three political parties, but essentially it was a political party for each reason, region, which was essentially a political party for each tribe. So despite whether you believe in maybe someone else's region, um, you pretty much voted for your tribe, your ethnicity, your ethnicity. Um, so since the North was by far larger in population and size, they always won. So it was always kind of set up to fail. Also at this time, Evo started venturing out of the eastern region to seek greater opportunities. So they were moving to the north and they were moving to the west, but they primarily had trouble in the north. So when they moved... But as, as, as more and more started venturing to the north, the Hasafulani started to grow very uncomfortable. They viewed the Evo's success as them trying to dominate the north. And I watched an interview with what I think was maybe the president or prime minister their leader at the time and he was the one that was saying kind of like talking bad about the Igbos and how they're trying to dominate the north they're trying to assert themselves they're trying to make them better than everyone um so even he held this ideal and was not and the interviewer was like don't you think that like ostracizing them is not keeping the integrity of like the Nigerian the unity of Nigeria and he was just kind of saying, well, it's the Evo's fault that there would not be unity for, like, moving in. But really, they were just trying to, like, start businesses here, start churches there. They were just trying to just seek a better opportunity. In early 1966, faults were starting to show in Nigeria politics as citizens began to show disdain for their ruling elites. 
The elites, like most political leaders, were rumored to be corrupt, making deals with foreign companies and rigged votes. They lived lavish lifestyles. They didn't listen to the voices of the people as they raised concerns. All of this tension between ethnicities and the citizens versus the government finally boiled over on January 15, 1966. Junior officer, a junior officer who was an Ibo, 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 in the Nigerian military stage a coup. This coup successfully assassinated the prime minister, the northern premier, who's like essentially like what we would consider a governor over a state. He was the gov- essentially the governor over the north, the western premier, but the president was safely out of the country. The coup was eventually thwarted by Major General Johnson Agui Ironsi, another Ibu descent. However, it didn't stop conspiracy theories to fly. With with the major general's success at stopping the coup, and the he was promoted to military head of state. So this is, I don't know what this would be in correlation to, like, what we know in our government, like, the equivalent in our government, but essentially very, very high. I mean, he was, like, the highest-ranking military official. Hold up. This meant that the Ibus held a lot of power in the government now. So many theorized the coup was staged to promote the Major General and have the power transferred to the Ibos. Suspiciously, the president, who was also Ibo, and the eastern prime minister, you know, is the essentially prime minister. I said prime minister, it's eastern premier. Essentially an Ibo over the Ibo nation were not harmed during the coup. So that's where the conspiracy theories rose, was like, everyone started to be afraid that the Ibos were going to take over with all of these now high-ranking Ibos. These speculations and the ever-growing disdain of the Evos led to the counter-coup. On July, counter-coup. On July 29, 1966, three officers of the Nigerian army led a mutiny in which they kidnapped the newly installed military of state and his host, a colonel, and killed them. The counter-coup then placed Colonel Akubo Oh, shoot. I just watched the documentary again. Dang. There's a lot of killing going on right now. Yeah. Well, we yep. form a new government. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get their people in charge. And I think, Kenzie, I think you got the name right the first time. I think it is Igbo. I really? I thought the documentary said Evo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Either way, if you're listening, it could be Igbo, it could be Ibu. We've heard two saints. Let's see. I know my cousin is one of them. I'll ask him and I'll, I'll let you know. Oh, okay. Taylor, what do you think? About what? About what's going on so far. About, yeah, just the whole story. It's a lot to take in. Lots of names I'm trying to follow. Okay, so the countercoup plays Colonel Yakubu, y'all, shoot, I really wish, because he plays a big role. So I want to know how to say it right. But yeah, I would be suspicious too if all everyone, the north and the east got killed. Or the oh, north yeah. and the west. For sure. Yakubu go on. Yakubu go on. Yakubo Gwan. I'm going to go with that. If our listeners, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm so sorry. I listened to it so many times. I'm sorry. Feel bad. Yakubo Gwan as military head of state. Okay, so he, so the counter coup killed the other military state, the Evo. The counter coup then placed Colonel Yakubo Gwan as military head of state, their guy. The hate of the Evos did not stop after the counter coup's success around. 30,000 Ibus living in the north were attacked, robbed, and murdered. Ibus fled back to the eastern region in the millions for safety. The military governor of the eastern region, Colonel Ajuku, 
called for all so- Southeasterners to return home, and it was at this time rumors about the Eastern region succe- succession started. So he called all his people back, and everyone's like, huh? Huh? Why does he want to do that? Ajoku was born, so this is our main guy. This is the guy our story centered around. He was born on November 4th, 1933, in northern Nigeria to Sir Louis Ojoku, one of the richest men in Nigeria. During the Second World War, he entered the, his dad, this is his dad, he entered the transport business and it boomed, and that's where he got all of his success. Ojoku went to secondary school in Lagos at the age of 10 in 1943, and in the following year at the age of 11, he transferred to King's College. During his time at King's College, he was briefly in prison for assaulting a white British colonial teacher who was humiliating a black woman. At the age of 13, he went to the United Kingdom to continue his studies at Epsom College and Lincoln College and finally earning a master's in history at Oxford University. In May of 1958, Ajoku received his commission as second lieutenant in which his dad was not happy. He wanted him to go into business, and instead he went to the military. Fun fact about Joku. His moder- he modernized the Nigerian army uniform and started producing them in Nigeria. Originally, it was still the British colonial uniform, and they were made in British. And he was like, no, no, we're not them anymore. We have our independence. We need our own uniforms. And he did it. Ojoku quickly rose through the ranks. In 1964, he was promoted to lieutenant colonel. Two days after the first coup, the new military head of state appointed Ojoku military governor of the eastern region. So that's like the highest you can have in like a region. Two days after the first... Oh wait, I already said that. After the counter-coup attacks, Ojoku insisted that the military hierarchy stayed intact. Which meant another guy who was the most senior military officer would have become head of state. But the resistance of the counter coup was too much. And Yokuba Guan was instated. So they did it. They broke the like what they had set up for years of like once this the highest goes, the next highest comes in. To fill his place is how they did that. So now back where we left off. Ojoku started publicly criticizing the Nigerian government for not protecting the innocent Igbos that were being attacked. Yokuba Gwant and the other Nigerian officials met with Ojoku in Aubrey, Ghana from no from January 4th to the 5th and what Ajuku thought would be he thought it would bring peace he was trying to negotiate for, for the eastern region Ajoku demanded greater political autonomy greater control from the from the of the southeast oil industry and also an equal power in military as the northerners were being recruited a lot more so the northern um Hasafulani made up more of the military than anyone else, and he felt like they were trying to recruit more of them, mostly because to give them the more of an opportunity to rise in the ranks and become officials, not more leadership positions. At the end of what's known as the Aubrey Accords, Ajoku was under the impression that the Nigerian government agreed to his demands, but once back in Nigeria... Yokuba Gwan did not honor any of them. He this caused Joku to officially announce the succession of the East, Eastern Region on May 30th, 1967. The new state would be called Bafra. Biafra. 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 At the helm, Joku would be the first and only Biafran president and commander in chief of the Biafran Army army. Nigeria almost immediately declared war on Biafra, a state with no air force, no navy, and a limited supply of weapons and manpower. In the beginning, the Nigerian government expected the war to be over quickly after easily winning back Biafran monuments and cities. 
But after a year, the war hit a stalemate after the Biafrans were able to start resisting. So this was really a David and Goliath situation. Biafra maybe absolutely nothing but their heart and their soul, and they really wanted it. And the Nigerian army had basically everything else you would need to win a, a military or a, a war. During the stalemate, leaders would meet at neutral locations, even once in Ethiopia. Ethiopia to discuss peace options, but no resolution was ever found, and eventually Nigeria decided the only option left was a blockade. They left Biafra with no way to get um, resources by land, air, or sea, so they cut them off completely. Before the war, Biafra's main sources of protein was local seafood and dried stockfish from Norway. Chicken, pork, and beef were too expensive for the average person. The protein depleted fast, which meant the only source of food was starch. Children soon developed a protein deficiency disease that was deadly. So a lot of children died during this thing, during this war. The Nigerian government claimed the blockade was supposed to be short and fast. They kind of expected... Joku to see that a lot of his uh, people were dying and to just give up and resist. But what they didn't know was that Biafra was getting support from France, the Ivory Coast, and the Gabonese Republic, all of which were smuggling in food, ammunition, and other resources. So they had benefactors. While France publicly supported Biafra, Biafra because of the because they believed in the cause, really a French oil company had made an agreement with Biafra for 7% of their oil if Biafra successfully succeeds. So that's kind of where that alliance came from. It really, France tried to play it off like it was coming from the good of their heart. But really they're about to get a lot of money because I think this like oil deposit that Biafra had was only like only Shell, which is the BP oil company, had access to. So there was like a lot of oil there to be had. So the French oil company was going to grab 7% of that, which I'm sure is like a lot of money. The Nigerian Civil War hit the national stage as media picked up that hundreds of thousands of Biafran were dying of malnutrition. Outside of Africa, some people saw Joku as a mate, as a martyr willing to risk his people's lives for the cause. But mostly people criticized Yokuba Gion for genocide. This is when the trope of starving, starving kids in Africa really took off. So there was this like Times Magazine cover that I think I'd seen before and they showed it and it was like these kids standing next to each other, obviously malnourished and it said something like starving for Biafra or something. So this whole idea of, like, they're starving kids in Africa kind of started here. Um, and really, they're starving kids in Africa because there was a blockade, not because Africa wasn't getting. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to speak to that. Maybe there is, you know, plenty of children that still need food and stuff. I'm just saying this is where our ideas of what a starving African children, this is where it came from. Uh, so many people outside of Nigeria felt so strongly about the Bi Biafran succession, they tried to push their own governments to help. On May 29, 1969, Bruce Mayrock, an American student at Columbia, set himself on fire at the UN Embassy in New York in protest. He died the next day. So there were, like, there were a lot of protests taking... Oh, I gotta cough again. Gotta lay off the cigarettes. Oh, I know. There were a, a lot of protests taking place, not only in America, but all across the world. Um, of people, they all well, get into it, but they wanted something to be done. But with the global push happening, the outside Nigerian benefactors pushed, I don't know, I guess I don't say, oh, I did say, but mostly they criticized him for genocide. So yeah. A lot of people were calling this genocide and kind of knew the struggles between the Hasafalani and the Igbos that had been going on for centuries. And so some people speculated that really this was a push by Hasafalani 
to commit genocide under the disguise of war and a blockade and that they were kind of not relenting on the blockade because they wanted you know like they wanted to eradicate the ebus that was like i mean obviously a theory there was not nothing was ever said by the government according to them it was supposed to be short and quick but with the global push happening the outside nigerian benefactors pushed the nigerian government to end the war by giving them more and heavier fire power so they were like just get this over with in the last week of December 1969, the Nigerian launched their last operation called Tailwind. This was three weeks of heavy fighting in which Nigeria overtook the last two major BIFRN strongholds. Ajoku was urged to flee the country at this point to avoid cer- certain assassi- assassination. On January 9, 1970, Ajoku handed over power to his second in com- handed over power, not firepower, just handed over power to his second in command and fled to the Ivory Coast where he was promised political asylum. Biafra officially fell to Nigeria and the war ended on January 15, 1970, so it was three year war. In the end, 100,000 soldiers and 2 million civilians lost their lives, mostly to mal- malnutrition. Dang. Yeah. In nine, yeah, yeah. What did I say? It was the second deadliest war. Yeah, the, it is the second deadliest war. I wrote it down. I feel like that's the worst way to die. Yeah, I second deadliest second. war. Yeah, second deadliest war in Af- Africa history, not just Nigeria. In nineteen eighty two. Um, Ojoku was pardoned by Nigeria and welcomed back. Upon his arrival home, he tried to re-enter politics. In 1983, he tried to run for Senate and was unsuccessful. Later that year, he was detained for 10 months for participating in a coup. In 1993, he joined a political party but could not run for president. He was a member of the Constitutional Conferences in 1993, 94, and 95. He was consulted as Nigeria as Nigeria tried to move from a military to civilian r- rule in 1998. In 2003, he joined a new political party and ran for president but did not win. He tried to run for president again in 2007 but lost, although there was speculation that voting irregularities threw off the accuracy of the election. He passed away on November 26, 2011 in the United Kingdom due to illness, but not before he was bestowed many honors and titles. He was given a proper military burial. Nigeria still struggles with unity in such a diverse state. Or, I mean, country. Many calling for restructuring, but also many remember the lives lost in the one and only Nigerian Civil War. And that was probably the quickest and shortest overview of the Nigerian Civil War, also known as the Biafran Civil, the Biafran so the Biafran War. But that's the story I have for you today. A little history lesson. That was a great history lesson. You find you every day. I know. I really like history. So, like, when I was looking for a story, I looked up. I started with any um, African civil rights leaders murdered in the U.S. And let me tell you, there has not been any. Um, That's a good thing. Yeah. So then I looked up, like, African refugees killed in the U.S., which I'm sure there are, but there wasn't, like, any specific instances of, like... Oh, he was killed because I mean, so then I looked up taxi drivers that were killed in the U.S. And there was like a lot of those, mostly like robberies where they immediately catch the person. And I really wanted to do something kind of big because I was like, the story was kind of like in the TV show was kind of big. Like there was a lot of moving parts to it. Yeah, the whole thing in Africa. And I was like, oh, let's talk about like civil 
wars that go on in Africa. Like, I'm sure there's some, like, leader that I can find that we can follow. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of wars um, throughout African history. Um, so that's why it took me a while to pick a story, to, like, narrow down on which one and, in, in, like, the leader to follow. Um, and I found this one, and I thought it, I thought it was very interesting. It's different. I, unlike Malik, and I like history, so I was all into it. Yes, and also, yes, yes. And also, I don't, I don't really know that much about African history. In, like, its own history. Like, I do not like at all, yeah. That was yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it was so interesting. And I know there's, like, so many more episodes throughout all of these TV shows where it's, like, a refugee or about a refugee like i know several like law and order episodes that look yeah so now i have this whole idea that every time one of those comes up if i can't find a story that like matches or it's based off of i'm just gonna cover another moment in african history because now i find it so interesting yes 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 was did y'all ever do like talk about the what was called the coney thing in africa Okay, I was going to do that was my first pick was Coney. But then because that's essentially all about this one warlord. It's not really about like different tribes or ethnicities ethnic I don't know why that's hard for me to say. Ethnicities um fight it, it's one person that they call a warlord who kidnaps children and make him fight for him. And I I I thought about doing that one but then I feel like there's more episodes down the road of like different shows, especially yeah. SVU. I think there's where they an SVU one that's directly related to it. Yeah, that's where they, episode. yeah, where they specifically talk about like children fighters. So I was like, I feel like I need to save that to one that specifically talks about like that part of it. But yes, I remember, I didn't when I was looking into it. I remember when we were in junior high and people were saying Cody 2012. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was the name of the documentary that came out. Yeah. I had a teacher who was like super for one first off, she was already like very dramatic and she was she like cried, like almost cried in class. Oh yeah. Because she she had the bracelet on and I don't know if she like just watched video I don't know what her deal was, but I swear I swear to you guys. We walk into this class and we sit down and she just holds her wrist up with the bracelet on. And, like, gets ready to, like, start bawling. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then she starts telling us about Coney and makes us watch the video and everything. But Are we talking... Oh, go ahead. Sidetrack. Side that was a side story right there. I just Are we talking about Joseph Coney? Is that his I, name? I think that's his name. There's only one warlord in Africa with the last name Coney. Yeah, apparently to the uh, film... He is responsible for over a hundred thousand deaths. Yeah, was, I mean that was that was back in twenty twelve though. He hasn't been caught. Yeah, he's so large. It was a it was a big thing. The only thing that like shot it in the foot is the guy who made the original documentary did some dumb stuff, and then it kind of shot the cummy thing in the foot a little bit. But there's another one called Invisible Children. That's supposed to be more like about the children and not so much focused on him but then and but it's about coney and him to taking the children but more focused on the children so i think that because i almost watched that one for this when i thought i was going to do coney um so that one might be interesting and maybe like better done yeah when you find the svu there's an svu episode i just don't remember which one it is yeah related to it yeah I, I'm with you. I'm like, I know that there has to be... I just feel it. Um, but anyways. It ain't... What... How... On a scale from 1 to 10, how is my connection to the episode? Uh, the scale of 1 to 10. The history's there. As far as episode, whatever. Eh, I just like hearing the history. Work. Yeah, it's really not connected to it other than the fact that the episode mentioned that there was something going on in Africa that this guy was fleeing. But I, I just, I don't know. Felt like it was important. I felt like not many people, especially our age, um, really know that much about what's going on or what has 
happened in Africa. Um, so to hear the history of at least one of its states, it's awesome. Kind of excited to do more. I liked it. Yeah, I like doing the history thing. Anything else? What's on the agenda for next week? Well, I mean, next week is not a history episode, let me tell you that. But Taylor, guess what? What? Guess is it yet? It's time for a criminal. Okay. We're watching Criminal Mind, season ten, episode one, and the episode of the 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 title of the episode is X, like the letter X, just X. Where can they find uh, Criminal Minds on, Ken's? I know you can watch it on Netflix for a while, and Hulu. I think it's on Hulu now. Yeah, it's on Hulu. We're boycotting Netflix. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if I have access to Netflix anymore. But you can watch it. it oh, Paramount too. Yeah, it's not on Netflix anymore. But you can watch it on Paramount and Hulu. But yes, I'm so excited. Criminal Monster. You've never seen it. I'm so excited. It's about time. Let's go. I know. I know. I was. I every time. I go to do the random number generator. I'm like, Criminal Minds? Criminal Minds? Criminal Minds? It better be as good as y'all talk about it. Dude. It's I so, love it. so it's good. So good. All right. And with that, my name's Kenzie Huseman. I'm your host. This is Crime on Prime Time, and we are signing off. Deuces. Later.